Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. So hopefully by now you've turned to Haggai chapter 1 verse 12. And as you're turning, to, as you have turned to that passage, I want to just remind us that we are continuing in this series called Restore. And we're looking into the book of Haggai. Now, one of the things that we need to be clear is that we're not going back to business as usual. We can't do that because God has brought forth a true change in light of everything that is happening globally. So we can't just do the same thing that we were doing uh, pre-COVID-19. We need to look ahead and say, God, what are those things that you're calling us to do differently? And also, what are those things that you've called us to do that you're going to restore and allow us to get back to those things. But maybe we have to now, as we listen to the Holy Spirit, we might have to do some of these things differently. And so with that in mind, I just wanted to start off and ask a question. And the question is this, how many of you, I'm just wondering, how many of you have been put in a situation where the thing that is required of you in that particular situation, it's beyond your capability or beyond your means? What I'm simply saying is, have you been in a situation where you just felt like you were way in over your head? You just didn't know how it's going to pull through. You don't know if you're going to be able to finish it. You don't know if you're going to be able to just survive. And I think if many of us are honest this morning, that's a lot of us. So often we think about our lives and we think about all the things that we have to do, all the things that God is calling us to do. And we get to a position where we realize, God, I don't know if I can do this. I can't do this on my own strength. I think for some of us, when you think about your workplace, uh, how many times have we got into a project thinking that, okay, I think we, we, I can do this. But then as you're doing this, you realize maybe I can't. There's a lot of skill and knowledge that maybe you don't have. For those of you who are students, some of you thinking, oh, I'll take that class. Uh, It's not going to be that hard. And then as soon as you start listening after lecture, after lecture, you realize, I don't get this. And the exam is coming up very quickly. Like all of us can relate in a way where we are put in a situation where sometimes we have an overestimation of ourselves. And then we realize that we can't do it. And then what happens? We start depending on ourselves. We start taking things into our own control whether it's because we don't want to look bad or we want to try to prove something to other people, regardless of the reason, the point is we are in a situation that we cannot on our own strength or power try to accomplish. And I think this is a very humbling part for many of us because some of us are like, well, that's not me. And I will say to you, you belong on this side where oftentimes you always feel inadequate, you always feel insecure. So you know what happens? For you, you don't even try because you're afraid of failure. You don't want to step out in faith and experience something new, experience something that maybe you're going to learn, but you're going to learn through failure. So whether we have an overestimation of ourselves, some of us who are in this side, and a lot of times we, in our pride, we think we can do it, so we depend on ourselves. Or some of us are on this side where we're insecure and we don't want to face failure. And so we end up just sitting back on the sidelines and not doing anything. I think for some of us, 
when we look not just within ourselves, but when we look outside of ourselves. I think all of us will have to, just in humble confession, that we all have biases. Just think about that for a moment. When you look at somebody, it's easy to say, wow, that person, they're able to do this, whether it's because they look a certain way or they present them a certain way. A lot of times we begin to say they're able to do it. Also, some of us have biases where we look at somebody, whether the way they look, the way they do certain things or present themselves, we're like, no, I don't think they can do it. And I think this is where we a lot of times make the wrong assessment about people. So not only is it about us inwardly that we make the wrong assessment, but also it's about others around us where we make the wrong assessment. So I wanted to show you this quick video and uh, just to kind of give you a little heads up on this. Uh, there's a person named Kenneth Leverick and he was a former junior Olympic weightlifter. And so what he did was he went to Hollywood around that area in LA in Venice Beach. As some of you already know what that place is. It's called the Muscle Beach where you get all these huge guys and women who go and they just work out on this gym area outside and just pretty much to show off. So um, he ended up getting the help of uh, Dan Gilbert who is kind of like the special effects uh, guru out in Hollywood. And Dan Gilbert ended up uh, dressing up and making putting on this makeup of um, uh, Kenneth Leverick to look like an old man. And so he ends up going to this beach. And I just want you to see the reaction of people because once again, we all have biases. And we make the wrong call when we think about and when we look at certain people. So let, let's watch this together. All right. Well, let's let's be honest here. Uh, I'm wondering if you have looked at, if you were at that situation and you looked at that person, we would not have been thinking what we would be thinking. Uh, what I'm trying to say is a lot of times we look at the externals, not only in ourselves, but other people. And we forget who we are in Christ. And so my encouragement to us as we think about this next section in the book of Haggai we really want to be able to think about all the things that God is calling us to do and to be believed by faith that we're going to be fruitful, not because of our own efforts, but because what Christ is going to be doing in our lives. So let me give us, well, let me, let me just kind of give us the one thing first. The one thing is simply this, that God is working in us faithfully so that we can do things fruitfully. Let me say it again, that God is working in us faithfully so that we can do things fruitfully. One of the big issues that I see for many of us is that we are trying to do a lot of things. And, and the thing is that we want to be fruitful, whether it's at work, whether it's our relationship with others around us, whether it's at school, whatever it is, we all want to be fruitful. We don't want to put in the time and the energy into something that will amount to nothing. But the problem is so often we are trying to do this on our own strength and power. So let me, let me read you this quote by Nancy Lamar, uh, DeMoss. She says this in her book, Lies Women Believe, and this is also lies that men believe as well, but listen to what she writes. She says this, 
Frustration is the byproduct of attempting to fulfill responsibilities God does not intend for us to carry. Freedom, joy, and fruitfulness come from seeking to determine God's priorities for such season of life and then setting out to fulfill those priorities in the power of His Spirit, realizing that He has provided the necessary time and abilities to do everything that He has called us to do. See, this is what God wants us to learn, to learn how to grow in dependence on Him so that we can learn how to be fruitful as we prioritize things in our lives. The reason why so many of us get frustrated in our lives is because we are doing things that are not things that God wants us to do. And also, we're trying to do it on our own strength. So once again, the one thing that I want us to remember is God, in His faithfulness, He is faithfully working in us and so that we can do things fruitfully. And we want to talk about that as we look at this next section in Haggai chapter 1. We are going to just jump into the first point. And as we talked about how God is faithfully working in us so that we can be more fruitful. We want to look into this next portion in the book of Haggai and draw out some points from that. So the first point is simply this, that God will encourage us. Come on, I want you to just say it right there in your room by yourself. God will encourage us. If you remember from last week, we looked at verses 1, uh, 1 through 11, and God revealed His heart to Haggai and to several leaders that he wanted them to reprioritize everything that they're doing, that it's not about them, but it's about God and his glory. And if you remember, many of these people were making excuses why they didn't want to rebuild God's temple. Uh, they didn't have enough time. They didn't have enough resources. But God was saying, like, how can you say that? Look at your paneled houses. You do have the resources. You have the time to build it. And the point that I really wanted us to kind of get out of that is that that's, that's the excuse that many of us give, that we don't have enough time, that we don't have enough resources. And a lot of times that's an excuse for really covering up our own self-centeredness. Sometimes for us, I would add in here, being in Hong Kong, how tired we are. You know, of course you'll be tired when you're watching five hours nonstop of Netflix. Of course you'll be tired if you're playing video games for all these hours. And so sometimes when we think about it, Really, what God wants from us is this humble and honest confession to say, God, my priorities are not your priorities. My desires are not your desires. The things that you want me to do, I just don't want to do. And this is where God was stirring their hearts to say, look at your lives. All the things that you have been trying to sow in, you're not getting anything back. The things that you thought that you could find satisfaction in, but you're not. So you eat, you drink, you do all these things, maybe go on a vacation and you try to save money and, and it just seems like nothing is satisfying. Doesn't that describe our generation? And so here he is. And how did the people respond to that word that God gave to the prophet? Let's go ahead and read verse 12 through 13. Look at it in these two verses and you'll see how the people of God responded in this situation. It says this, verse 12 and 13. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil, the and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, 
obey the voice of their God, Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God has sent them. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai the messenger of the Lord spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. Let's go ahead and pause here and look at these two verses as we talk about how God will encourage us when we think about how God is working in us faithfully so that we can do things fruitfully. After this message was given through the, uh, through the prophet Haggai, the people of God responded in two specific ways. I hope you saw this when you were reading it with me. The first thing is that they followed God. In verse 12, it says, Obey the voice of their God. Listen to what it says in the Amplified Version of that verse. It says, Listen carefully and obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. You know, when it comes to truly following God, we have to learn how to listen to the voice of God. Because without listening to the voice of God, it will be very difficult to obey God. A lot, of, a lot of us, we think that we're obeying God, but we're not listening to God's voice. In fact, if we can honestly share with one another, I would say that many of us are listening to other voices. Some of us are listening to our parents' voices. Some of us are listening to our leaders' voices. Some of us are listening to just our friends' voices or our bosses' voices. Now, I'm not saying that any of those things are wrong. But when it comes to doing the will of God, they can only give you advice and maybe counsel, especially if they are Christ followers to the things of God. But ultimately, you have to hear the voice of God. Why? Because you are going to be responsible of standing before God to give an account of how you lived your life. I see so many people mistaken that it's the voice of God, but it's really a voice of either selfishness or other people's desires and wants for them. If you examine your lives, you'll notice that listening to God's voice is not an easy thing because there's so many other voices that we're hearing. It could be, as I mentioned, our parents telling us what should we do with our future, it could be our friends pressing us to do things that we don't want to do. It could even be our managers or anyone in authority telling us to possibly even do something illegal that you know it's wrong. But once again, they're your boss, so you got to listen to them. I think the reason why we listen to other voices is because we forget that we are ultimately accountable to God. And that He and He alone is worthy of our loyalty and our complete obedience. I think this is the reason why we need to listen to God's voice. And we need to be willing to hear and obey so that we can please him. Do you, do you remember John chapter 10, verse 27, when Jesus was talking about the good shepherd? He says this, he says, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. It's hearing his voice and then following him. I think for many of us, the problem is that we hear God's voice, but we don't want to obey. How many times has God spoken to you through his word? 
How many times has he spoken to you like gatherings, like the church-wide gathering last week? How many times does he speak to you just bringing various people, but it's really God just confirming what he has already spoken to you? I think this is the person who does the soap regularly. This is the person who does LCG. This is the person who serves on ministry teams. This is the person who even participates in life group, but they are still running their own lives. Is that you? You can do all the Christian things, but it is so easy to hear other people's voices rather than God's. To really, truly follow Christ, we must not only hear His voice, but we got to obey. Listen to what it says in James chapter 1, verse 22. You know this passage in the New Living Translation. Listen to what it says. But don't just listen to God's Word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. We've got a bunch of people who are fooling themselves. Listen to these other translations that will help you to understand what that idea or the concept is. And let me read it from the Amplified Version. It says this, But prove yourself doers of the word, actively and continually obeying God's precepts, and not merely, uh, merely, uh, merely listeners who hear the word, but, can you say this? Say this with me. Fail to internalize its meaning, deluding yourself by unsound reasoning contrary to the truth. So did, did you get that? that we fail to internalize, we forget to internalize its meaning. Think about that for a moment. There are some of you that are really good at repeating what other people said. And either you don't believe it or you don't really understand it, but you're really good at repeating what other people have said. And the reason why I know this is because when you face the first trial or when somebody confronts you with whatever you're saying, you don't even know how to respond. You just heard it. This is what someone else said. You haven't internal, internalized the principles that turns into a conviction so you can live by it. So if someone to tell you why is life group important, some of us will just say, well, because it's important. I've been going most of my life in this church. I've been in this church for five years. The longest. I, I'm a veteran. But do you know why? Have you internalized it? Why is it important? Do you know why we do soap? Oh, because they always check up on me. My leaders always send their soap. And I always wait for them to send it first because I want to see what they got conviction. I'm like, oh, okay. That means you haven't internalized why doing soap is important. Maybe this is the reason why some of you are not doing it. Even a heart of generosity. You can hear Pastor Bo talking about stories after stories about giving. And if you haven't internalized it because it's not a conviction, then we're not going to be generous with our time, with our money, with our resources. 
My point is this, you will only truly understand if someone has internalized a principle or a precept of God, the word of God, is when they're able to live according to it, even in the midst of a challenge. Are you just a mere listener or are you a doer? Because you have internalized this. Here's another translation quickly here. The uh, the Passion Translation, it says this. Don't just listen to the word of truth and not respond to it. For that is, come on, say this with me. The essence of self-deception. So always let his word become like poetry written and fulfilled by your life. This is the essence. Listen to me. This is the essence of self-deception. Do you know how many people that we have that are so deceived? Because we hear the word. We say all the right things. But because we don't do it, we don't obey it. We're deceiving ourselves. Let me explain this way. You know, there are many times when I talk to leaders. I I talk to people who are discipling other people. And sometimes... um, I have an opportunity to get to know some of those people that this person that I'm talking to is discipling. So I hope you got that. It's always easier using names, but you know we always have to protect the innocent and we don't want to shame the guilty. So I hope you got that. So I'm talking to person A who's spending time with person B, but then I'm also knowing person B. Are you with me? So here I am talking to person A, and this person A is like, oh man, yeah, this person B is growing, and they're doing all this stuff. I go, are you sure? They're like, yeah, they're, they're growing. They're loving Jesus. And I go, how do you know that? Well, because they do this, they do this, they do this. And I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, I just met with person B. Now, if I met with you recently, I'm not talking about you, please. This is where I have to give all these disclaimers, right? This is over 30 years of ministry, all right? So please, uh, it's not about you. So here I am talking to person A, and I'm thinking, I just met with person B, and that's not the feeling that I got. Because I'm seeing it from multiple angles, and I'm thinking, no, there's some inconsistency in their life. I don't think what you're seeing is true. So then I go back to person A and go, hey, hey, bro, um, maybe you should pray some more and just really seek the Lord's heart. If you're going to help this person, you know. <laughs> and then two weeks later, something blows up. Do you know how person A feels? To those of you who have been person B for most of your life, let me, let me describe to you how person A feels. Person A feels deceived. Person A is hurt. Not because they have all these expectations on you. It's because you're not honest. You're not sharing some of those things you should be sharing especially if they're your discipler or your mentor. So what happens is that you deceive yourself and that you will start to deceive other people. So once again, when they heard these words from the prophet Haggai, one of the first things that the people did was they heard the voice of God and then they obeyed. They said, we will follow God. I'm wondering for some of us where we are. 
Are we following God by listening to His voice or are we deceiving ourselves and failing to internalize His Word? I'm also wondering whose voice is most prominent in your life. Is it God? Is it His Word? Or is it other people that you're trying to please? So we're talking about how God will encourage us. But as we look at how they respond, you'll see how this all connects. Listen to me. Just follow along with me. Another thing that you'll notice is that people responded not only how, by how they follow God, but how they fear God. Look at verse 12b, bravo, again. It says this, the people feared the Lord. The word fear is translated as reverence, awesome, or honored. Look at some of these different translations. The contemporary English version says this, they started showing proper respect for the Lord. The Living Bible says this, they began to what? Say it with me, worship him in earnest. There, we, we got this idea that when they followed God because they heard his voice, what began to happen in their hearts is that they feared God, which the better translation is they worship God. They reverence God. The idea of worship is so important because isn't that what God wants from us? He wants all of your heart. He wants all of my heart. He wants all of our hearts as a church. What he wants more than anything else is for us to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to worship him, to know that he is good, that he is worthy of all our worship. But if you remember, I mentioned before, we worship what we what? Come on now. Fear. We worship what we fear. So let me put it this way. If you fear not having enough, whether it's resources, money, whatever it is, you will start worshiping money and success. Are you with me? Can I get a good amen? You guys know what I'm talking about. Whatever you fear is what you're going to worship. If some of us fear our parents' disapproval, you fear that, then you will worship their opinions. Are you with me? What you fear is what you will worship. If you fear being rejected or abandoned by your friends or others, then we will worship them by trying to please them. So those of you who are people pleasers, the core, at the core of it is, is the heart of worship. It's what you fear. That's one thing I've noticed with people pleasers that I, I'm getting introduced to so many of them here in Asia. The root of it is worship. And in that worship is what we genuinely fear. And for many of us, we fear disapproval, rejection, abandonment. And so then we begin to please that person that we're seeking all these from. But as we talked about it at this conference, it's God the Father. We know His heart. He loves us that he accepts us, that we are significant and secure in him, that we belong to him. When we understand that you will stop trying to please people and the core thing is you will start wanting to please God, which means that it might go against some of those people you are trying to please. This is why God is constantly working on us so that we will worship him alone. 
Do you remember Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 4? I'm going to read it in the message translation. This is through the prophet Moses speaking to the people of Israel. He says this, you are to follow God, uh, follow only God, your God. Hold him in deep reverence. So we see this idea of worship there. Keep his commandments about obedience. We see that in there. Listen obediently. So once again, listening to the voice of God, to what he says, serve him, hold him t- Hold on to him for dear life. It's complete dependence on him. Now, I needed to establish this before talking about this idea of God being with us and encouraging us. This was their response. They're going to follow God and they're going to fear God. Now the question is this, how does God respond? Well, in verse 13, through the prophet Haggai, God encourages the people by saying, I am with you. Can can you just say that right now, just out loud to yourself, wherever you are, just say, God is with me. Come on, let's say it together. God is with me. And this is a theme that runs throughout the whole Bible, from Genesis all the way through Revelation. It's God being with us. That's what Christmas is all about. That's what salvation, in essence, God becoming man, coming to this earth. He's God Emmanuel. He's with us. And no matter what the task that might be before us, we don't have to fear. We can be assured that God's presence is with us. He's going to guide us. He's going to lead us. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 5 in the ESV, great reminder. Same thing again. Fear not, for I am with you. Just think about rebuilding God's temple after they got convicted that they were being selfish, their misaligned priorities. I mean, it's it's an enormous task. And it's in that situation, God simply says, I'm with you. I'm wondering how many of us feel overwhelmed at times. I'm I'm wondering how some of us just feel as if we are just kind of going through all these emotional things. This is where you have to remind yourself, God is with me. God is with me. As I was thinking about this, I realized, you know what a great task Jesus gave to the disciples? Do you remember in Matthew about going and make disciples of all nations? Wow, what, what an incredible task. I'd rather build God's temple than going and making disciples of all nations. But what did he say at the end? Do you remember that? In Matthew chapter 20, or 28, verse 20b, it says in the NIV, And surely, come on, say this with me, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Amplified Version says this, I am with you always, remaining with you perpetually, regardless of circumstance, on every occasion, even to the end of age. How about us this this morning? Are you reminded and encouraged daily about God's presence being with you, no matter where you are or what you're facing? In what ways have you seen God trying to get your attention to help you to start obeying, not just listening, but to obey? And I'm wondering how God has lovingly encouraged you 
to get back to living for his kingdom purposes. We want to close out with the second point, and we've been talking about how God is working faithfully in us so that the things that he has called us to do, we can do it fruitfully for his glory and for his name. So we talked about as that is the work of God, he's going to encourage us, and he will do that. As he says, I will be with you, as he spoke to the Israelite people as they were going to rebuild the temple. The second thing that I want you to notice is that God will not only encourage us, but he will empower us. He will empower us to do the things that he has called us to do fruitfully. Now, there are many of us who are trying to live this Christian life and we stumble and fall. That's you, that's me. There are so many people around the world who call themselves Christ followers and this Christian life is not easy. I hope all of you are slowly beginning to understand that. And I think one of the major reasons is that we really struggle. We're trying to do this Christian life with God's strength and not our own. How do, how do we do things where we are empowered by God and then we can do the things that he has called us to do rather than us trying to do things to get the results or try to see certain things happen? How do we do that? Um, I have a, just an interesting story I want to share with you that happened uh, several years back. Uh, it's a little embarrassing story, but I'll share it with you. So you'll understand that so often we kind of trust in ourselves rather than really trusting God. Uh, we were able to go to Disneyland here in Hong Kong with a family. And you know in Disneyland, they have like those balloons. You know what I'm talking about? So here's a picture. Like they have these uh, balloons of princesses and Mickey Mouse and all that kind of stuff. But they're pretty expensive. But So these balloons are like a kid's delight. They're always like crying for it. So we went with this family and their kids really wanted it. So their parents ended up buying it for them and they tied it on their stroller and we were just walking around. Then finally we decided we we're going to go on this ride that we could all go on together regardless of the age and uh, size. So we decided we we're going to go on this ride together. So that family parked their stroller uh, at this one area where you parked all the strollers uh, with their balloon hanging from their stroller. And here we are waiting in line. Now, I don't know if some of you know what this is. You know what this is? You'll see this picture, right? These are the rails that you wait or you weave through as you are waiting in queue. So I want you to just kind of picture these rails. Now, as many of you know, when it's, when it's full, you'll see a picture like this. There are a lot of people waiting in line, especially with the rail. So let's go back to the railing picture. So the time that we went, there weren't too many people there. So it was just a small line, but these were the rails that uh, were at Disneyland. So what happened was simply this. As we're waiting in line, from the corner of my eye, I saw another family trying to take the stroller with the balloons on it and you know there's there's something inside of me that always fights for justice or like whatever it may be so i decided in that very moment because no one else saw but i saw from the corner of my i'm always observing so i saw that from the corner of my eye and so i turned my body over and i said to them stop i said stop right where you are or something to that effect i'm like stop so in my mind, I'm thinking, I think 
I saw too many James Bond movies and many other things. In my mind, I was thinking, I'm going to run and jump over these rails. And then hop over two times and then grab them. I don't know if I was going to knock them down, but I was going to grab them and tell them, this is not your stroller. This is ours. You know, stand back. So that was in my mind. And it was a beautiful picture. I was just like, in that splits moment, I'm like, this is great. But as you know, because this ha happened uh, several years ago, that your mind can be young, but your body is old. So in this moment, I was running, and I put my hand on the rail. I decided to try to flip over, do that easy jump. I ended up not jumping over. I was just holding onto the rail, and I swung around, and I fell to the ground, and I just saw blue sky. <laughs> all, I, all I heard from my family was instead of like, Dad, are you okay? They started laughing. <laughs> They're laughing. And as they were laughing, uh, this is what was running to my mind. I'm sure it was just a split second, but as I was laying there, I'm like, I am such an idiot. At this moment, I do not even want to get up. I do not want to face the shame. And uh, pretty much what happened was uh, the family who saw all this, they felt really bad. And then as they got closer to what was happening, especially with the stroller, they said, oh, Pastor Seth, that's not even our stroller. <laughs> so here I am making a fool of myself, thinking that I'm going to do something great. And the point is this, oftentimes we have an overestimation of our strength, of our abilities, and the things that we are able to do. And as I was thinking about that, I realized, this is when I need a God, I am with you, <laughs> for him to encourage me. But this is where we got to learn that everything that we do, we cannot do it in our own strength or our own thoughts of our abilities but it has to be empowered by God and God alone. Let's finish off and read verse 14 and 15. Listen to what it says as we finish this section. It says, And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people, and they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Right away, you see in verse 14, you will see that word spirit. It reminds us and it emphasizes the importance of God's work working in us and not in our own power or wisdom. That word spirit is connected to the phrase, the Lord stirred up. Did you catch that? The phrase stirred up means to awaken, to arouse, to agitate, to start to move or to spark. That's why listen to some of these other translations. I'm going to read it very quickly. It says this in the New Living Translation. So the Lord sparked the enthusiasm of Zerubbabel, son of Shantil, governor of Judah, and the enthusiasm of Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the enthusiasm of the whole remnant of God's people. So it's this idea of it's God who is stirring our hearts or 
giving us this excitement, giving us this enthusiasm. The Living Bible says this, and the Lord gave them a desire to rebuild his temple. And the contemporary English version says this, so the Lord God, all-powerful, made everyone eager to work on his temple. What do we see here? As we look at some of these different translations, it gives us insight into that Hebrew word. When we think about stirring up, it's not something that we do. Listen to me carefully. Some of us trying to get really excited. Some of us trying to get all this enthusiasm going. But many times it's our own strength. How many of you have been serving God with your own spirit, trying to stir up your own heart? No wonder some of you get burnt out. No wonder some of you want to quit. No wonder. Think about it. If you don't see any fruits, you're not going to want to keep on doing it. Because you've been doing it on your own strength and power. Rather than looking at the Spirit of God that stirs us, gives us the enthusiasm, gives us the excitement, gives us the desire, and gives us this eagerness to do His work. Can I just make a side comment? It's, it's not in my nose, but it just popped in my mind at this very moment. Many of you are serving or many of you who are doing things, whether you might be in salt, maybe you are doing LCG, just, doing, just trying to serve God, be a witness at work, trying to be a witness at school. The reason why it's easy to lose focus and the reason why it's, it's easy to lose your heart, I believe, is because we don't pray. Because when you begin to pray, you get your eyes away from yourself and now it's back on God. You begin to understand why you do what you do. And then as you pray, you, you receive supernatural strength and power. Because we're connected to the vine. And we're just mere branches. Now that doesn't mean you'll never get tired. That doesn't mean that you're never going to struggle with like, oh, why am I doing this? Those are the times when you need to be praying more. That's the point. And we forget that because we trust in ourselves. And one of the most powerful reminders about the need of God's Spirit being upon His people is found all throughout the book of Judges. I, I can't wait. One of these days, I want to study the book of Judges and for us to learn together some of these incredible stories about who God is. Not about these judges because they were sinful. They were doing all this. It was all about God and His faithfulness. And they did evil in God's eyes. Then God had to sense some calamity. And then they realized and they repented. And then God blessed them. And they went through the cycle over and over again. But the thing that I want you to notice is that God always raised up somebody, like a judge, to lead God's people. And the most famous one, as many of you know the story, is the story of Samson. Now, when you look at the book of Judges, you will notice that from his birth all the way to his death, this concept of the Spirit of God being upon him, you will see it over and over again. So here in Judges chapter 13, verse 25, it says this, and this is Samson's birth, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. So even when he was born, the Spirit was already working. Look at in Judges chapter 14, and uh, verse 6, and verse 19, in Judges chapter 15, verse 14, we're not going to time to look at it. I'm just summarizing. It says, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. So here's another way to look at it. It rushed upon him. Some of these other translations, in, in, in the New Living Translation, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. The NIV says, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. The contemporary English version says, but the Spirit's 
Lord's spirits took control of Samson. So when God stirs our spirits, when he rushes upon us with his spirit, what's happening is that he's taking control. He's empowering us. So when God stirs his people, when God stirs the hearts of his people, he will enable them to do what he has called them to do. I was just kind of, uh, as I was preparing this message, I was thinking about what is God calling us to do? Especially as we're not going to go back to this normal, or new normal. We're not going to go back to it. But he has given us a vision. And as many of you know, we have this thing called the bold vision. And he gave this to us back in 2017, but we actually started it in January 2018. And we said for the next five years, from 2018 all the way to 2000, what, end of 2022, we're going to live out this vision that God has given us. And as many of you know, the, the B, it stands for building a, a school of ministry. We also talked about the O, which is to open up a local site and one church uh, globally. So whether it's another site here in Hong Kong or maybe another church plant somewhere in a different city. The L stands for launching at least one life group in each of the eight uh, universities that are here. And then the D is to be able to disciple 1,000 people through their live curriculum. And as we saw and felt that God spoke to us with this vision, the pandemic hit. And so the temptation is to say, well, let's just forget about it and let's try to do something else. But as we were trying to listen to God's voice, it was almost as if God is saying, I am with you to encourage us that no pandemic, no whatever it is, it's not going to stop my purposes and my plans for you and as a church. But we're going to have to think about this differently. How are we going to do this to fulfill the calling that God has given us to us as a church? And that's why in January, about several months ago, we had this family gathering. And we said, we only have two more years left of this bold vision, but we still feel like some of these things are the things of God's heart that He wants us to do as a church. So that's why we zeroed in and said, with the next two years that we have left of this bold vision, we're going to really target some of the things that we're talking about. That's why I shared with you, if you remember, I shared with you the four C's. The first one, just so that you can remember, the first one that I shared about is the importance of community. That we have to build community. That this is going to be most important of all that's going to happen in our church. Because we cannot do anything outside of this. So let me challenge some of you. Think about this. There, there's a higher rate of suicide that's going on. More depression. More mental illnesses that are happening. With, and some of you know these people. They're in your classes. They're, they're at your workplaces. And so we haven't changed. We've always been emphasizing community. You go to other churches and you, you, some of you who came from other churches, you know that this is something that we say church really happens on a Tuesday or a Wednesday. It's not on Sunday. And so my challenge to you is that if we want to see some of this bold vision, even thinking about starting another site or another church or anything like that, if your life group is not experiencing God and you're not being transformed through this gospel message, then we have no business trying to do all this stuff. I always hear people like, I want to be a part of a church. I'm like, no, you don't. 
No, you don't. Okay, if you do, let me see your life. Have you discipled anybody? Who are the people you discipled? Show me. Because a church plan is not this cool thing that you do. You got to lay down your life. And that's why I always measure by your life right now. Are you doing evangelism? If you're not, just by being on a church plan, it's not going to make you more of an evangelist. Do you have a heart for serving people in your life group? Some of you are so lazy that you don't want to do anything. I cannot wait until we come back in person. Then we'll find out who are the committed people in our church. Of course it's easier to watch it online. Oh, I'm busy. I'm working from home and all this stuff. And yeah, life is really... If getting up to go to a place that's going to take maybe 40 minutes to commute, if that's hard for you, then you're not going to have any business going into a place that might be very difficult, even under persecution, for you to start something. If you cannot make the sacrifice to get out of your bed, to go somewhere, to build community because you believe in this, that it transforms lives, you're not going to do it when things are hard. Because we love comfort. That's the problem. This is the reason why we're stressing over and over again. Build a community. Strengthen your life groups. Do the LCGs. Do this because if you do it, you have the building block, the basic, the basic core of what it means to start a church. If you cannot serve within your life group, you're not going to be able to serve on a ministry team. I guarantee you, because it's harder, because now it's affecting more people. And if you're not serving in a ministry team, it's going to be very difficult to be a part of a church plan where you're going to have to serve the whole church. See, overestimation. <laughs> Some of us have all these ideas, this narcissistic idea. We're going to do all this stuff. And I'm telling you, Look at your life now. If you cannot make the sacrifice, if you're not willing to pray, you're not willing to be a little bit inconvenienced to go to that room to meet with people because you'd rather be at home and be comfortable. Community. The second thing that we talked about is church plants. Man, if we want to see the gospel reach more people, that we got to be able to not only share the gospel, but from there, we got to start building these communities, and that's how churches start. I really don't know how it's going to happen. All I know is we're just praying, and I'm making sure the leaders are healthy, and then each of the life groups are growing, and if we can experience that, then I believe church plan is just a natural result of what we're doing now. But I will say this. I'm praying that by 2020, the end of 2020, excuse me, end of 2022, so in about a year and a half, a little over a year and a half, I would love to see the border open and for us to possibly go into Shenzhen and start a community there, which means that some of you who are working or about to graduate around that time and thinking about working, if the Lord is speaking to you and calling you, this is my challenge to even possibly think about getting jobs in part of the greater Bay Area that they're developing in that area because I believe that this is going to be an opportunity like more than ever before for us to start something there to reach out to the people who need the gospel so much. And they're right there in our backyard. 
I would love to see another site. Some of you are traveling. Well, not anymore, but you were traveling like an hour just to commute to come to church. Praise God for your commitment. What would it be like if we had multiple sites all over Hong Kong and being able to minister to people within that neighborhood? So we've got to be praying for this church plan. This is something we want to see happen at least by tw- end of 2022. So we've got a year and a half. We've got to focus in. The third thing is this. We talked about a center, center city hub. This is why some of you have heard already. We are actively looking for a location that we can call home. And in that, it's going to be headquarters, HMCC of Hong Kong headquarters, where we're going to launch everything that we're doing from that place. But as many of you know, it takes resources. And I'm not going to shy away from it, but I'm telling you right now that if we are faithful in our generosity and faithful in just doing what basic things that we are called to do, I'm telling you right now, we will be able to do a lot of these things. It shocked me. And almost to the point where I was, uh, I was just thinking, and it, it, it shocked, discouraged, but usually out of discouragement, it comes with the hopefulness. Is that those of you who are working, I found out that if uh, six or seven of you more just faithfully tithe, we will double our budget. We are operating on a small budget. We can't even bring Pastor Bull full time. So six or seven, if you just faithfully tie 10%, we will double it. Can you imagine if everybody in focus, everybody <laughs> will triple, quadruple our budget so that we can do more things, reach more people with the gospel. But that's not the case. You know I love you. But we have a lot of people who are just thinking about themselves and while the Lord's house is in ruins. Because all we do is think about ourselves. Our own plans, our own dreams, our own future. And the last thing is connections. We're talking about God is opening up so many connections so that our influence and our ministry together can be partnered with other ministries so we can reach more people with the gospel. That's how we're going to see this bold vision become a reality. Just go back to that picture of those four things again in the bold vision. I want you to look at this once again. Building a school of ministry, opening up a local or a global site, launching another life group in some of these universities. We, we, even though we're not a university church, there's an emphasis for university students because we believe you're going to be the focus members. And you focus members, you know why we're concentrating on you? Because you're going to be the covenant members, all right? And then we want to keep on building the building blocks. So that's where you're going to have babies. Well, not in building blocks, but when you have babies, we put them into building blocks. And we want to disciple more people with this curriculum. And I'm so excited. I know some of you already signed up. We have people who are getting trained up even from other places. I want this to impact people's lives because we want to see more disciples being raised. As God stirred up the people of Israel, God gave them a desire. He sparked something in their hearts with this eagerness and enthusiasm to rebuild the temple of God. 
And this is what I have to always remember and we need to always remember. God will accomplish what he wants to accomplish. You know, there are times when I'm thinking, God, how are you going to do this? We don't have enough pastors in, in our church or in our family of churches. Like sometimes it is very discouraging. I'm like, this generation, uh, I don't know if we're going to raise up pastors. And not to say that all of you have to be pastors. Some of you are going to be quote-unquote pastoring or shepherding in the marketplace and other places like that. But we need people who actually feel the call to be pastors if we're going to start churches. Not only that, but we need more leaders. If you're going to multiply and have life groups, you're going to need more leaders to lead those groups. Not just a warm body, but train people who will lay down their life because it's not about them, but it's about souls. It's about the gospel. We need more of those people. We need more resources to do the things that God is calling us to do. And sometimes I can sit there and I'm like, oh, this is so discouraging. But once again, when I was reading this, it reminded me that it's God who's going to encourage us. It's God who's going to empower us. And so what I need to do is stop looking at our situation and start looking to God and start praying. God, stir the hearts. Rush, may your spirit rush into those people so they won't hold on to the things of this world, that they'll be generous in their giving. Rush into the hearts of these people that they're living for themselves, but they might be able to say, man, I've been so blessed by this ministry. My life has been transformed. I've come to know Christ in this church. I've come to get discipled in this church. I want to disciple the next generation. So I'm going to make the investment. I'm going to sacrifice whatever it takes so that I can see lives being transformed as my life has been transformed. That's what begins to happen and stirs in my heart when I begin to focus on Him and begin to pray. Because when I look around, I'm like, oh, this is pretty bad. I'm wondering how many of you are actually praying for your campus. I know some campuses are doing better than others, but I want you to, I'm wondering how many of you are actually praying. Huh. Monday blessings. As Pastor Bo said, he didn't invite you, but he commanded you. You better be there. Wow, that's strong language. When Pastor Bo is saying that, that's like really strong. So those of you from CUHK, you need to be there. When's the last time you pray for your workplace? Pray for the focus ministry, the covenant ministry, the children's ministry, high school ministry. Like, oh, we have a high school. No, no we don't. That's what I'm saying. Do you know right now it's the high school students who are committing suicide and are going through bouts of mental health because they don't have the maturity to process all that. They're still developing in their brain and they're going through isolation and loneliness. This is a whole generation right here in Hong Kong and all over the world. And here we are so consumed with our careers and what we're going to do, what kind of car we want to buy, what kind of... And I'm telling you, wake up! It's not about you. It's not about what you can have because one day you will die and you cannot take anything with you. And the question is, what is your legacy? What are you leaving behind? I pray, this is my heart's desire when I look at this passage, may the Spirit of God stir us with enthusiasm, with this desire and this eagerness to live for Him 
and him alone. Oh, I love this passage in Psalm 119, verse 32. Listen to what it says. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. I love that. God, you have to enlarge my heart. Make it bigger, God. Because right now it's so small because it's all about me, my dreams, my future, my goals. It's all about me, but enlarge it because it's about you, your kingdom, your commandments. Listen to some of these other translations so that you understand what he's trying to say, the psalmist. In the NIV, he says, I run in the path of your commands, for you have what? Say this with me. Set my heart free. How awesome is that? This is the, these are the people who live for God when their hearts have been set free from the pain and from the past issues their own selfishness, when their heart is set free, they're able to love and they're able to obey. Some of you are in the prison of your own heart. Your greed, your selfishness, your own desires, you're in prison. So you're not free. You're not free to love. You're not free to give. All these things that God has blessed you with, you have kept it to yourself. And God has set you free because of the cross and the resurrection. Why will we not lay down our lives? Look at these other translations. The Amplified says this, I will run the way of your commandments with purpose, for you will give me, come on, a heart that is willing. God, give me a heart that's willing. Set it free enlarge it the living bible says this if you will only help me to want your will i love that do you know why that's important because we cannot love his will on our own it says help me help me by your strength empower me with your anointing and your power to want what you want god this some of us will be oh then what can i do i'm gonna wait until god gives me this desire no See, that's, listen, I, I love the Bible. Do you know why? Because some of you are philosophy majors and you could always come up with a loophole and God says, I have an answer for that one. He does it all the time. Some of you say, well, that means that we can't do anything. So we might as well just sit there until he stirs our hearts, until he gives me a desire. See, that, that's, that, that's your wickedness. <laughs> that's your rebellion. Listen to me. I'll tell you why. You got to do something. Listen, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. I'm going to read it from the Passion Translation. It says this, I'm writing to encourage you to what? To fan into flame and rekindle the fire of the spiritual gift God, what? Imparted to you when I laid my hands on you. For God will never give you the spirit of fear, but this Holy Spirit who gives you mighty power, love, and self control. Listen, the point is this God is one who imparted this gift to you. So that's nothing that you did, but God did. But what does He say? You got to what? Fan the flame. Rekindle it. Kind of reminds me of a church in Laodicea. Or even the church in Ephesus. To return to your first love. 
So don't just sit there thinking, well, I'm going to wait until God gives me this enthusiasm and eagerness and until he stirs my heart and rushes into my soul. He has already given it to you. So fan it. So start obeying. Start living it out. And you'll see God do some incredible things. Listen to me. I'm going to close with this one thought in verse 15 that I did not mention yet. It says, it mentions the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month of the second year of King Darius. The significance of this last phrase in this passage as we close out chapter 1 is that it took literally 23 days after the first message of prophet Haggai mentioning that this is your heart not aligned with God's heart you're living in your paneled houses selflessly doing what you want to do it was 23 days from the moment they heard this message until they finished rebuilding God's temple 23 days that is almost almost humanly impossible but God did it amen God did it because he empowered them he put the enthusiasm. He put the focus. I'm thinking about our vision, thinking about the next two years and all the stuff that God is calling us to do. We cannot do this, but God can. And I pray that all your life groups will flourish. I pray that in your campuses, university campus, there will be a revival. I'm praying that in every single focused life group and covenant uh, ministry, to even to the families and children, to every single marketplace, workplace, office here all over Hong Kong, there will be a shift happening because the people of God are being stirred by God's power. How awesome would that be for God to work in that powerful way? Let me just close with some next steps. I'm just going to give it out really quickly here. First of all, is decide to live for God's purposes. That's the first thing. You got to make a decision. Make a decision for God's purpose. The second thing is this. Develop your prayer life. Develop your prayer life. You're so busy. I'm so busy that we don't even have time to pray. Put it in the schedule. Put it in there. Or make sure that one of your commutes, you're not going to check your phone. You're just going to dedicate that time to just pray. Just one commute. Some of you go through like what? How many commutes? Like three, four? Just one. Dedicated just to prayer. Develop your prayer life. The third thing is this. Is lastly, depend on God's strength. As you go throughout the day, as God is calling you to do so many things, just depend on God for His strength. How do you do that? All you have to do is lift up a quick prayer and say, God, I can't do this on my own. I need you. It's that simple. That's how you learn how to depend on His strength. You're going to go into a meeting. You're going to go into a presentation. You're going to do something. All you have to do is simply say, God, strengthen me. Empower me. I need you. And you'll experience a powerful move of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let me just pray for us. It's already late, so I'm just going to close this in prayer. But can I just speak to you? Uh, just as a follower of Christ, to those of you who are watching as a follower of Christ. The reason why sometimes God gives us an opportunity to participate in His work is because of his love for us. He didn't have to, and he doesn't owe us anything. But when he invites us to be a part of what he's doing, that is our privilege. It is our honor. 
And I just want to challenge those of you who are believers. As we talked about last week, there's a rebuke from God that we're living in these paneled houses, very comfortable. We're building our own dynasty, our own kingdom. And God is saying, while my house is in ruins, But he doesn't banish us away. But he stirs in us the spirit to put that desire to say, God, I've strayed from your heart. I've been selfish. I've been building my own kingdom. So I want to I obey. I want to follow. I want to listen. I want to obey. I want you to hear those words of God's encouragement to you. I am with you. I am with you and I'm going to empower you. Man, when I, when I was thinking about these two points as I was preparing the sermon this week, because there were moments when I was a little bit depressed this week, I was like, oh gosh, this is where we are, this is what, but as I was thinking about like God saying, I am with you and I'm going to empower you, I just knew that it's not me. This one campus, it's the Lord's. This one uh, workplace situation, it's the Lord's. This one family, it's the Lord's. To some of you who are watching and you have never made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to this incredible plan that God has. God created you, God created me, and he wanted us to be in fellowship together. But you know what happened? In our own self-centeredness and rebellion, we turned away from God. That's why there's so much brokenness in this world. And everything that God is doing, he's trying to restore that. He's trying to bring it back to his original intent. He wants you to flourish in so many areas of your life. But you cannot do that when you are the captain of your own ship or you're driving the car. You got to stop the car, get out of the driver's seat and say, God, I'm going to give you the wheel. I want you to take control. And you do that when you realize that he came into this earth, died for your sins, set you free from sin and death, that you trust in him and believe that he has a plan for you. And you surrender your life to say, Lord Jesus, I receive you and this free gift that you've given me. You did for me what I could not do for myself, which is to live the perfect life. You took the pain and the punishment that should have been mine by dying on the cross. And as you receive this message of the gospel in faith, your life will be forever changed. So I want to pray for you. I want to bless you. I want to ask the Lord this coming week, that he will encourage you and that he will empower you. Let, let the Holy Spirit just rush into your soul. Let it give you the enthusiasm, the excitement that you need to live out his purposes. So Monday morning will not be like, oh, Monday morning. But you get up, do that Monday blessing, and then you get ready for the rest of the week to say, with this one life that I have, I want to live for Jesus. 
I'm going to invite us right now. If you could just lift your hands to the Lord. Can you just do that? Just as a sign of surrender. I'm going to pray for you. We'll just close out with, with this prayer. I'm going to pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for every single person who has been watching. And to every single person to this, who could hear the sound of my voice. I'm commanding in the name of Jesus that there will be a, a rush of the Spirit that will come upon us right now in the name of Jesus. And that you will encourage and that you will empower us right now. And God, as we have heard your voice, help us not to be a mere listener, but help us to obey. And we know we cannot do this on our own, but we need you. So as we begin to follow you, as we begin to obey you, Lord, as we see in Scripture, the house was restored, the house of the Lord. You've given us a vision, the bold vision, and we want to be able to live it out in the next two years that we have left. Help us to be faithful. We want to be praying and asking for more lives to be transformed, more students to be reached, more workplace and families to be reached, Lord. We're praying, Lord, that in your will that you will open up another site. Help us to even think about us starting a new community in a different global city. We're praying, God, that you will do that work. But once again, we confess we cannot do this on our own, but we need you. So wherever we are, Lord, whatever we're struggling with, we're just asking you that you, O oh Lord God, will strengthen us, empower us. So Lord, as you do the work in us faithfully, help us to do our work and it will be fruitful for your namesake. So I pray that this week we'll be blessed, that we'll be strengthened, encouraged, and that we'll live for your glory. So we thank you. And in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Praise God. The band is a little bit excited there. So anyway, praise the Lord. Uh, we're, we're just thankful uh, for all of you. Let's continue on. And one of the things I would do wanted to mention before I say bye to all of you is this. If some of you are struggling because of the pandemic, you're alone, isolated, please reach out to somebody. You can even contact me and just, Pastor Bo, we, we want to be here to just to be able to listen, to be a blessing to you. And so don't be alone. Go to Life Group this week uh, and just stay connected with people. And until we see each other again, uh, when we can all worship together as a whole family of God, I'm looking for that day. I'm praying for that day to happen. As some of you experience just a live worship, just being able to hear and just say hi to people in person, it, was, it uplifted my soul. I pray that it will do that to you. So God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.